I'm Jody Weitz, Results and Success Coach, and these podcasts teach you how to make significant changes to live your dreams, make a positive impact on the world, and drop your regrets. It's time for you to get spectacular. Welcome back to Your Spectacular Life. I'm Jody White, your life and business coach, helping you to get your spectacular life. I'm thrilled today because as my guest, I have Andrew Hallam. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Jody. And Andrew, when Andrew isn't getting eaten by mosquitoes in tropical jungles, cycling up a mountain during a downpour with his wife, or trying to drive to Argentina in a van, he's speaking and writing about happiness and personal finance. The former high school teacher wrote the international best-selling books, Millionaire Teacher and Millionaire Expat. Profiled by media such as CNBC and the Wall Street Journal, he's the first person to have a number one selling finance book on Amazon USA, Amazon Canada, and Amazon UAE. He has written columns for Globe and Mail, Canadian Business, AssetBuilder.com, Money Sense, and Swiss Quote. Find him online at andrewhallam.com. Impressive. I'm, I'm, you know, what I'm getting a picture of is just reading this bio is not only are you a money guy, but you are a world traveler. You know, you like adventures. And so you spend your money well. Is that right, Andrew? Would you say that about you? Yeah, it's it's a funny thing because I know a lot of people will who don't know me will say, oh, you must really like money, you know, because you write about it. But money is just a tool that you can use to enhance your life. I mean, to use it effectively. And that that sounds like it's a, a strange thing, perhaps anyone listening to this say, well, so we need money to enhance our life. It depends on our relationship with money entirely. And so for us, yeah, we're more interested in experiencing thing experiences and relationships different places uh, embracing different cultures than we are in acquiring material things and so you know one of the cool things is that when we recognize that material acquisitions don't boost our life satisfaction and reams of research suggest this it allows us then to have more money to pay down debts and when we do pay down debts that increases life satisfaction all kinds of research suggesting that allows us to invest money for our future, which is great because then it gives us an opportunity to perhaps take time away from work, take what I like to consider a mini retirements along the way, instead of having this big retirement at the end where you do nothing because, you know, research suggests that on aggregate people who fully retire don't tend to live as long because their minds aren't being, they're not using their minds to the same extent. So your mind is like a muscle, you know, you use it or you lose it. But yeah, back to your question, Jody. Um, <laughs> it's about lifestyle for me. It's yeah. just trying about living the best life. And so when I wrote the book Balance, 
And that was essentially that it, how do we best enhance our life satisfaction? Because we have one life and let's do the best that we can with it. Absolutely. And let me also let the listeners know that you just came out with another book called, as you mentioned, Balance, How to Invest and Spend for Happiness, Health, and Wealth. And uh, your summary that you just spoke about has everything in it that um, Andrew said about research on material items not really bringing us the satisfaction that we need in our lives, um, plus a whole lot more, plus where to put your money, where to invest, how to take these mini retirements, um, and essentially how to really enjoy your life while you're putting money away for investments. I mean, one of the uh, things that struck me was even if you're you know, 60 and beyond, you still have 30 years to put money away to invest that and to get money back on that. And that's great because normally it's start early and reap the benefits, then retire. Yours is a very different book. Um, and, and I like that. Um, what made you go deeper in writing that book? Because I'm seeing, you know, Millionaire Expat, which does tell me about living overseas, and I'm assuming on a, a, a smaller budget because things are, frankly, more affordable, like Portugal is a big, big place people are going to now. Um, but what made you write this book? You know, the, the other books, it's funny because, you know, back to the other books, one was called Millionaire Teacher and the other was called yep. Millionaire Expat, but they were really the publisher's choice in terms of titles. So the first book, for example, I wanted to call it the nine rules of wealth you should have learned in school. Uh, and then Millionaire Teacher is something really catchy, as is Millionaire Expat. Um, when I wrote Millionaire Expat, it was really for people who live overseas who aren't contributing to things like Social Security. And so as a result of that, because they can't. So if you moved overseas, Jody, and you took a job in you know, Dubai, for example, or Cairo, you wouldn't be able to contribute to Social Security as an American. So you, know, you have to be able to save your money. But with the book Balance, what I really wanted to write was something that I felt reflected my values more, far more so than just a book about acquiring assets or acquiring money. Because you know, when it comes down to, to, the, to the life satisfaction concept, Money is just, it is just a tool and it is just a component of what I deemed life satisfaction to be. So I described life satisfaction in the book as like a four legged table and, and all of those legs have to be solid. So yeah, we need some money for sure. I mean, we need enough money to give us shelter, have decent healthcare, uh, put food on the table and a little bit left over for us to be giving and saving for our future and enjoying some experiences. So there's that part, but relationships are so key. And a lot of people who just chase money end up dropping balls in other areas, one of them being relationships. And relationships are just, when we look at the single most important variable for life satisfaction, and life satisfaction is success. That's what success is. No more, no less. What is success? It's life satisfaction. So if relationships, are so important. And the Harvard study on, of adult development, which has been an eight decade long study has pointed to that as the single greatest variable for life satisfaction. And 
that relationships are, I mean, the greatest yeah. variable for life satisfaction, then that's something that really need to be focusing on far more so than just primarily the money leg. So a lot of people that just focus on money will drop the ball there. The other aspect or the other leg of the table is your health. I mean, we have to, we have one vessel, we have one mind, one body, and we have to do what we can to nurture that, you know, to make sure that we eat well, that we get enough sleep, that we exercise. Other levels, we're talking about things like meditation and just the old idea of just keeping healthy, keeping moving, keeping physically active. And then finally, a sense of purpose. So a sense of purpose is essential. If somebody were, you know, if I were born a trust fund child, or if you were, and we had everything handed to us, we never had to work for anything, we wouldn't feel fulfilled. Now we need something that gets us up in the morning. And more often than not, if at all possible, it's something that in a way makes the world a better place. So for me, my thing was, I really wanted to be a teacher. And that's what I did. That was my career. And I, I still might go back to that because I just enjoy it so much, like working with kids. And it feels awesome to know that in a small way, I'm contributing to helping young people live a better life. Yeah, so, and, and you're yeah. also, I remember at, that you were a teacher starting off teaching high school students how to build their, um, you know, successful uh, financial future. And mm -hmm. that was one of the topics that you were really involved in. So I think early on, there's a threat of finance, but I, I don't think um, many kids get that. And what did you tell them? Important for anybody at any age, but what were, what were some of the rules there to, to get them their financial freedom? Well, one was that, you know, when we look at somebody with something, you know, like a, an expensive car, for example, we often pine after the things that our neighbors have. And we believe that these are symbols of success and that perhaps these are things that will make us happy. But when we look at research on say what millionaires typically drive, the vast majority of millionaires do not drive really expensive cars. They drive simple cars like Fords and Toyotas. Uh, they don't typically drive Maseratis and Porsches. And most of the people who drive really high-end vehicles are high salary people with really big debts. And so the thing that you need to teach these kids before they learn about the concept of well, how do you actually invest your money is how to save it. So the essence of saving your money is, is, is most important. The recognition that something like a brand new car uh, or expensive car, it's a, it's a depreciating asset over time. And a high-end car won't necessarily enhance your life satisfaction, but the savings rate is so important. So Jody, what I would have the students do is track what they spend, like try to bring them gently into the real world where they tracked what they spent and they try to track what was spent on their behalf. And so this part was really important because they needed to recognize that life costs money, their parents are paying either rent or mortgage. And so I would ask them to download an app on their phone, like an expense tracking app that I think everybody should have and everybody should do. So I think everybody, if there's any, any of the listeners right now, if there's something that you take away from this, my hope is that from this interview, you take away uh, the idea that it's super simple to just get a, an expense tracking app on your phone. It takes about 
five seconds to track everything that you spend and that you and should. What would you recommend? Just uh, call out a few that, and, and it is listed yeah, yeah. in the book. So yeah, um, budget would be one. There's one called the uh, bid budget. Sorry. There's another one called mint uh, pocket expense. These are three popular ones. And it's just so simple. And as a result of that, we end up spending less. But for the kids, you know, back to that question, it made them see that, wow, you know, money doesn't purely grow on trees here. And they could see that, you know, I would ask them, go home and ask your parents what they pay for the mortgage. And now split that among the people in the household to determine what your portion would be. What's your portion of that? So I would have them do the same thing with the grocery bills. So get an idea, collect the grocery receipts from whoever goes shopping in your family and hopefully you're helping them shop and then divide that by the number of people in your family. And then, then I would have them look at specific median pre-tax and after-tax income rates for people that lived in their neighborhood or for specific jobs that they wanted. And they could soon see that, wow, it's not that easy. I mean, asking mom and dad for all this stuff uh, isn't necessarily something that is all that practical when we look at the big picture here. I mean, parents have big responsibilities. It just brings them, I think, gently into that, that adulthood, that, that concept of personal finance that I think we should all be introduced to in school. That's one of the, one of my pet peeves, Jody. is, I mean, I started out as an English teacher, love it, loved high school teaching, loved middle school teaching, but there are a couple of things that just, they aren't mandatory in schools. One is personal finance lessons and two, like a really great solid course on relationships. We don't have yeah. those. You know, we'll have trigonometry and we'll have high level mm -hmm. mathematics. And that would drive me crazy because the things that I would learn beyond for me, beyond the eighth grade in mathematics classes, um, I, I don't use in the real world. And most people don't unless they go into engineering. So for me, it's a bit of a pet peeve, like make that stuff elective, you know? So some of the higher <laughs> level maths, let that be an elective, but goodness, uh, make sure that courses on your health, courses on relationships, courses on personal finance, those to me should be mandatory classes. Yeah, and, and those are such great um, jumping off points, you know, whether, um, you know, young people are gonna go into college or they're going to go straight into working, they need to know all of that. And frankly, I agree with you in that relationships are incredibly important because if they can't relate to anyone, a boss, a friend, um, a girlfriend, you know, they're, they're going to suffer in their lives. In addition, I agree, uh, in the book you were mentioning a lot of if that person can just put a portion of their take home into savings automatically, and we know that you can auto transfer that each month, you don't see it, so it's good, then you know, 10, 20, 30 years later, they will they will have a substantial amount of money. Why don't, you know, I know you give an example in the book, but let's say, um, I know you were talking about 500 put away um, each month. What about if we drop it to 300? What will they have 30 years later if they put $300 in a savings account or a, or a indexed fund um, 30 years later? What is that total amount ballpark? Yeah, I mean, it could be 
well close to probably be about eight hundred thousand dollars wow so i mean the idea of small amounts when i said the five hundred dollars it was just a as an example i didn't have 500 when i started so i was 19 when i started and i had far less than that but as i ended up with a job and working and earning more money i was able to invest more so in the book what i did was i just created an example of $500, knowing full well that I invested far less than that when I first started. And then when I was earning more income, I invested more than that. But I just wanted to show an example that here's what the US market has delivered. And that somebody doing this and starting when I started, which was really young, I started at 19. But at age 50, if somebody had invested this over that 30 year period, they would have more than a million dollars. So yeah. it's amazing how, how money does compound over time. And that will include, you know, there'll be good markets thrown in there and bad markets, period, where the markets drop and where the markets rise. But just that idea of ignoring that and just continuing to add money to that diversified portfolio of index funds and over time will reap strong rewards. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, may, it, it makes so much sense because... It, I think it's more about the habit of putting money away, ha- the habit of having a portion of, again, take home after expenses and just putting that in a fund and you don't see it. And uh, same thing, again, with putting money in these index funds, they're going to go up, they're going to go down. We've we've had a phenomenal, you know, 2000, I'm going to say 2000. 12 through up to now, up to pandemic. Um, It's been very wonky since then, but, and even then there's been some very good markets, Um, but just to ignore it. Don't worry about it. Don't try. And you mentioned this again in the book is to find that super stock that's going to raise you to stardom (laughs) and Boost your bank account. Just keep it in that fund. Ignore it. Know it's going to go up and down. Check it maybe once a quarter, once a year. But knowing that at the end of that uh, 30-year period or so, you're going to have close to a million dollars, again, depending on what you put away. Yeah, to try to make it automatic is the best bet. So treat yeah. it like a tax where the money comes out of your account automatically so you don't have to actually transfer anything it just comes out every month it goes into your ira and and that's it it's kind of a set it and forget it sort of process so anything like a a vanguard life strategy fund or a vanguard target retirement fund which is a diversified basket of low-cost indexes which give you uh, exposure to the entire u.s market and the global market as well as a, a bond allocation But yeah, if you invest that way, um, the evidence-based reality is that you'll beat 90% of investment professionals without doing any effort. So, I mean, this is based on uh, what William F. Sharp talked about, who's the uh, Nobel Prize winner in economics. He wrote a paper called The Arithmetic of Active Management. And and investing is actually quite a simple process. If you own the entire world's markets and you just invest every month, and this is academically irrefutable, you will beat 90% of investment professionals over your lifetime with no effort. I like that idea. No effort. Then you get on with other things in life, right? You get on, you get on with, with your life. You get on with things that are far more important and focusing on the economy and interest rates and what funds you should buy. You get on with the things that really matter. 
Exactly. Um, yeah, that makes sense. And, and getting back to um, fund managers, um, there, there is, it's interesting. Uh, you do very well in describing how, you know, really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say mostly is you should just go with a Vanguard account versus paying a certain percentage each year to a fund manager who may not do as well. I mean, again, academically proven, you're going to do better in these in these diversified funds. Yeah, it's right. It's one of those things where there is there is a conflict of interest with people who are trying to sell you certain products from banks and financial institutions. Most financial advisors, for example, try and sell you more expensive funds. They make more money when they do, number one. But number two, and this is something that I looked at in the book balance, I looked at what training was required to get a CFP, which is a certified financial planning certification. It's actually a fairly rigorous certification, but when I interviewed people who, who were working in the industry and had their CFP, they weren't actually trained on two things. There are two things that were missing. One was how indexes over time beat actively managed funds. And they weren't trained on that. And they weren't trained on the futility of trying to chase past winners. So what a lot of people will do is they'll buy a fund that's done well over, uh, wow, look at that track record. It's done great this year or great over the last five years. I'm going to buy it. No sooner do they buy it than something called reversion to the mean kicks in where then it starts to really stink and do poorly. So we end up buying high after a successful run for a specific fund. And then we often then end up selling it after it's done really poorly. And so it's like we're like dogs chasing tails, but advisors are like that with their own money. And so what we, and I didn't recognize this when I wrote my other books, there was a, I referenced a study that was published in the Journal of Finance that showed that most financial advisors will also buy actively managed funds for their own portfolios because their training doesn't say otherwise, doesn't teach them otherwise. Two, not only do they do that, but they chase past returns. So they'll chase funds that have performed well during a given time period. Those funds typically after they buy them end up not doing as well. And so the typical investor will underperform. If you have, Jody, uh, just a simple diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds, uh, this study was done on 4,600 4, financial advisors. And on aggregate, they would underperform a portfolio like yours mm -hmm. by about 3 to 3.5% 3 per year on a compounding basis. Goodness. So when they actually looked at how their funds performed, and these financial institutions opened it up to show how the clients performed and how the advisors performed with their own money, they underperformed by about 3 to 3.5% 3 per year. So over a 15-year period, that meant that they underperformed. That was the length of the study. They'd underperformed by 55%. Now, if you were to compound that over a lifetime, uh, it's, it's, it's really, really damaging because, of course, fees compound as well, underperformance compounds as well. So you could literally be looking at those advisors ending up with $300,000 when they retire and someone like you ending up with a million. And that's the irony because you're not focused on it. You're just doing your thing with Vanguard's indexes and you're getting on with your life. Right, which is... You know, very interesting. And again, that's the book's focus. Um, for any of you who are familiar with the FIRE movement, are you, in, uh, are you aware FIRE is uh, financial independence, retire early. And there's, there's a bunch of books out there. They're great. And it's really about retiring early, 
But in order to do that, you've really got to save, again, when you're younger, to get out early. Um, and the thing that about those kinds of books, which I love, uh, and your book is really based on life satisfaction, as you mentioned earlier. And I, I love the example that you gave is, you know, uh, there were people who, when they're retired, they buy a new house somewhere, somewhere different. It's bigger, it's shinier, it's newer. But do they really get full satisfaction out of a larger home or out of living in a new community who they don't know anybody and leaving their old support system behind. Um, and these are these types of differences that are really like your book. Um, and it's very different than just save everything you can, you know, give up a car, which is actually a good idea if you don't need it um, and look at every penny. But another thing that you mentioned is uh, a title in your book that says you can afford any uh, everything, but not anything. <laughs> that's just uh, anything, but not everything. Every I knew I was anything, get but that not one. everything. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that in having life satisfaction, but really setting priorities? Yeah, it's it's really you know with that book, uh, I created. I tried to be a storyteller as well. So I told some anecdotal stories about a couple of friends who were both really into traveling five-star and they both earned about the same amount of money. My friend, John, though, cut back on certain spending of certain things that didn't enhance his life satisfaction. My other friend didn't cut back on anything. She just put everything on her credit card and she just lived the vida loca. Well, John's been financially independent for quite some time, and my other friend will have to work forever. And that's fine, but she's not working at a job she enjoys. And as she gets older, there are fewer and fewer positions that she is finding will give her both money and fulfillment. So she's struggling in that. So the idea is that in John's case, he can afford these five-star resort like vacations, you know, these African safaris and such, uh, flying business class, but he can't afford everything. So he has to make choices where he will cut back on things that don't give him high levels of life satisfaction. So it's all about priorities. It's not, I'm the last person to say, scrimp, 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 and save every penny until at some point in the future when you have lots of money and then you can enjoy it. Because, you know, as I describe in the book, life is like a dark hourglass. It gets tipped at birth and nobody knows how much sand they have left. So you have to live for today with an eye on tomorrow. That's, that's great. And um, again, yeah, there's no doubt that financial freedom allows you choice. So you can say, I'm going to take this fabulous vacation, but I'm going to, uh, for the next year and a half, I'm going to travel locally, do day trips and things to, to afford that because I'm, I've filled up my, my bucket list with this fabulous African safari. So I think that that is really important about that. Now that's what can give you financial independence. It's just yeah. that prioritizing these things and recognizing that you really can't afford anything, but you can't have everything. So pick and choose. And then sometimes you're going to have to be ruthless about cutting costs in other areas. If you want something really, really extravagant. 
and there's no right, there's no wrong. That's why personal finance is so personal. I like that. Um, and on, on that line, tell me a little bit about um, your travels. Um, you, uh, for example, traveled all of Canada, uh, Central America, Mexico, Central America, um, in a motorhome and van. Why did you want to do that? And what life satisfaction did that bring you? Well, it's, it's, it's interesting you ask that question because experiences trump material acquisitions. So in that van, we spent 17 months in that van. And, and what that did for us was yeah, it allowed us to meet so many different people and to engage in different cultures and to learn new things and new ways of thinking and make so many friends with people that we never would have had an opportunity to meet before. And so this is just for us, this is golden. You know, this is so much more interesting than us you know, acquiring material possessions, because of course, as, we, as I alluded to before, uh, material acquisitions don't typically enhance our life satisfaction. So yeah, it was, it was such a, it's become such a big part of our life. We, we quit our full-time teaching job in 2014, but we meant just to take one year off. Um, but because we had the financial resources, we took longer than a year off. And we, you know, every year we're like, yeah, should we go back and teach? Cause we love that. We both enjoy it. Like, let's do this first. And so you know, we've done all kinds of things, backpacking around Vietnam. We rented a, a place in Mexico for several months. We rented a place in uh, Northern Thailand, but it's always Jody about the people. It's about connecting with other people. That is where the true magic in life really is. And I'm hearing that. Um, and what better way to connect with people than traveling? I mean, you'll run into, you know, Americans, Canadians, but you'll also really deeply immerse yourself in the culture. And that is so valuable. I mean, that's much more val valuable than buying a new large screen TV. Although there's, <laughs> if you like movies, there's, there's things you can get out of that. But the experiences are, are absolutely wonderful. Um, and, you know, Andrew, I know that you mentioned this in the book very quickly about what is the benefit of paying off a house versus putting that money that you could have paid off your house into an indexed fund? Well, I think, I mean, that's, that's not something that I mentioned. This, is, this would probably be more Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey Dave. would be... Right, right. Pay off your house. Um, yeah. For me, I think it's really up to the individual because I think especially that interest rates are so low on homes right now. So it's so entirely personal for people. I'm not going to say everyone must. I mean, I think it's a great idea to pay it off before you retire, for sure. I mean, that just alleviates so much stress. So yeah, that's important. Make sure that you pay that off before you retire. Find a way to do that. That's I think that that would alleviate a lot of uh, stress and give us a lot more freedom if we're in that boat. But when it comes to, you know, do I pay off my home more aggressively or do I invest in a portfolio of index funds? I think it can be entirely up to the person. No one can see the future. When we do pay off, uh, we do pay off a loan that let's say it's charging 3% per year. This is, and it's a low interest rate, but it's really like equivalent to earning a guaranteed after-tax return of 3%. And it can allow certain people to sleep better at night, knowing that 
they're paying off their debts earlier. But that, again, is really, really a personal thing because long-term people, as they know, and they will argue, you can make more money in the stock market than 3% over a lengthy period of time as well. So the mathematics long-term are really in favor probably of paying off the house more slowly and investing more of that money in the stock and bond markets. But, uh, but I really respect people's individual feelings on this um, because some people, and I, and I was one of those people when I bought, I bought some land uh, some oceanfront land back in 2002. And I just, I'm not comfortable with that. I just don't like it. And so for me, I really hunkered down and I made sure that I paid off that debt and I was earning better return in the stock market than I was paying an interest on that debt. But for me, just as a personal thing, I felt better about paying that off yet. I'm not going to sort of take that and suggest that that's how everyone should feel because not everybody does. Everybody's priorities are really different and we can't see the future, but whether we take our resources and pay off our homes faster or pay them off a little bit slower, trying to get it out of the way before we retire and investing in the, into the markets, both decisions are pretty good decisions, a lot better than blowing your money on, on, on silly things. <laughs> right. Again, another personal choice. And I respect that some people uh, can live with debt more easily than others. Uh, I think others need to pay that off. So they'll just feel comfortable knowing that one is out of the way, no matter what the future kind of looks like, they've got a home to live in mm -hmm. um, and it's free, you know, above and beyond taxes. So the one, the one thing too, Jody, like in terms of comfort with debt, I, I don't suggest anyone ever get comfortable with credit card debt, destroy it, take it down. I would say the same thing with a student loan debt, that anything that's charging you 5% or more, which would probably be like an auto loan debt, uh, student loan debt, uh, but definitely credit card debt, tackle those mercilessly, destroy them, absolutely destroy them, make that your primary focus. Because the research again suggests that like people who have lower levels of debt end up higher levels of life satisfaction. And that's what we really want to enhance, isn't it? It's our life satisfaction. And that kind of debt though, mathematically speaking, uh, you've got to pay that off. That's not a 3% a 2% uh, home mortgage loan where you can actually write off a portion of the interest. That's a different animal. Yeah. Good point. I know it slowly, it slowly ticks away or breaks away at their cuts away at our, at our life, you know, satisfaction, knowing that mm. that's there. Well, um, Andrew, one more question. And, um, that is, where's your next place you're going to travel to? What, what's on the radar? Well, right now we are in Panama City, Panama, so the country of Panama. And nice. we're, we're renting this fabulous place on a 35th floor just overlooking the, the city on one side and the Panama Canal on the other. We're going to go next month into the mountains to a place called Boquete. So it's also in the country of Panama. It's about 4,000 feet in elevation. So we bring our bicycles. We'll, we'll cycle through the mountains. And then a quick trip to the U.S. and Canada to visit family. And then summer in the south of France. So that's our plan. <laughs> I, I love it. Um, I want to join you. <laughs> It'd be great. Um, and I really want to thank you so much. Now, again, um, tell us a little bit about how they can get balance and contact you. Um, yeah, thanks, Jody. Yeah. Uh, 
at my website at andrewhallam.com. So you'll see right there, you'll see the, um, there's a, an accessible contact me tab on there as there are most websites and also the tabs for uh, purchasing the book. I really like the idea of people when they purchase it to purchase it from a local retailer. I think that's really, really important. If you can't and you live far away from a local bookstore and I get it, um, Amazon killed a lot of the bookstores. But if you have a bookstore in your neighborhood, I, I, I would love it if you were able to support that bookstore with the purchases, with your book purchases. And if you bought the book, my book Balance, uh, fabulous, I'd love that. Thank you. <laughs> great, great. All right, and again, that's andrewhallam.com. Andrew, A-N-D-R-E-W-H-A-L-L-A-M.com. Well, it's been... Delightful speaking with you, Andrew. I've learned so much. Um, and again, really enjoyed the book, would recommend it heartily. And enjoy the rest of your day and your travels, you know, exploring the world and just boosting that life satisfaction. Thank you so much, Jody. I really appreciate that. You too. My pleasure. That's great. Take care of them. Thank you. I'm so grateful that you've listened to the end of this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review it, and share it with your friends. I love teaching insights so that you can have a more impactful and meaningful life. It's my mission to build a thriving community of happy, fulfilled people. Want more? Visit my website at yourspectacularlife.com dot com.